multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, we celebrate the first episode of the second year of the Drunken Dallas Podcast with a fantastic interview with a gentleman who recognized as the number one mixed martial arts film director in the world and founder of Tap Out Films, Bobby Razak. We'll learn all about his efforts to tell the story of a wandering spirit in search of adventure, better known as MMA middleweight champion Evan Tanner, a kind soul who wanted nothing more than to make the world a better place. Quietly awaiting my one-way ticket to Guantanamo, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, answering hopelessness with a defiant smile and a raised middle finger, Daniele Bolelli. Away we go. Welcome back, everybody. Believe it or not, this is the very first episode of year two of the Drunken Dow's Top podcast. Now, listening back to episode one uh, from a year ago is almost an embarrassing and, and humbling feat. But, uh, you Why? know, for a bunch of knuckleheads who had never done it before, it wasn't too bad. And I think we've dialed it in quite nicely for the first year. Yeah. And uh, without further ado, Daniele Bolelli. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, since day one, actually, we have been having Latsusara in one form or another helping us out. So humongous thanks to Chris O'Dell for being on our side all this time. Yeah. That's sweet and amazing. We love you for that. Um, on it.com. On it. We have um, Aubrey Marcos, who has been on this podcast. I hope you guys checked out that episode because it was freaking amazing. And Aubrey is really a fascinating human being on every level. He has uh, sponsored us, uh, thanks to Onnit. Onnit produces anything from uh, supplements, foods, uh, uh, exercise equipment, the whole full gamut of random things that are... Check out, there's so much stuff out there. Check it out. You know, one of the products, uh, you don't think much of it. There's so much other stuff that's amazing. So it's like there's really something for every taste in that regard. Check out Onnit.com, like for Datsusara, for Onnit, for any other sponsor that we mention, affiliate or otherwise. There are links in the episode notes. You can click on that and you can get discounts that way if you decide to buy something from them. By the way, I forgot to mention Datsusara, the maker of op awesome hemp bags. I by now assume that you guys know what we're talking about. Home of the Micro been. Ninjas, you know? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, a year into this, I cannot encourage everybody enough you know, it's it's October, soon it'll be Christmas, you know, go and buy something from these guys. I mean, they do us the yeah. hugest favor of helping us keep it on. And, you know, we don't ever ask for much from anybody. Mm-hmm. But these are the fellas that believe in us. And if you buy one bag from these guys times the multi-tens of thousands of you that listen every week, you're sure going to help them out. And... uh That'll help us out, and it'll just roll on. So I know times are tough. I know those bags are a wee bit expensive, but they're worth every cent. They're amazing. They're rugged. They're well put together. And they're done by a guy whose company's name is all about shunning corporate life. Doesn't get much better we than that. We can't support. And then, you know, Aubrey's the same sort of cat, you know. Yeah. He's uh, he's the real deal. He puts everything behind. There's money back guarantees on everything they offer. If you don't like it, send it back. You'll get your money back. And uh, that's the way these cats are. And that's the kind of people that we like to deal with. And, you know, just as a favor, maybe as an anniversary present for 24, you know, well-done episodes just for your uh, happy ears. Nice. You know, uh, help, our, help, help out the people that are helping us. Absolutely. And on that list, we have some of our affiliate 
short design for like the trippiest, coolest shirts ever. Coracao chocolate for the food of the gods. Audible.com if you guys are into audiobooks. Uh, all of these things, there are discount codes. If you click through that and uh, we get something out of it, which is sweet. If you want our t-shirts, shoot me an email. It's in the episode notes and I'll let you know if we have your size and color preferences. Uh, among our thank yous, of course, always Daisy House for the great soundtrack. Cold Steel that uh, sent us some cool knives that have been given out to friends, family and random people who like really sharp objects in their hands. And uh, <laughs> they make some of the best knives ever. And um, I just dig it so much. I'll put a link, uh, another, I'll put a link in the episode notes. So if you guys are into knives, you can check some of their products. Um, what else? What else? Our Amazon link. If you guys do shopping on Amazon.com, please, please, please um, click on our link. It helps us a bunch. By the way, I just saw somebody who recently got, I'm hoping and assuming for their kids, a gladiator costume. Wow. Awesome. I dig it. You're doing parenting right. That's the way to do it. Yeah, because that could have been that could have been a, a Tonto costume or something the terrible like that. So. Gladiator. That's the way. You're Very five well years done. old. Get that Gladius on. <laughs> let's get going. Speaking of which, Cold Steel has an amazing Gladius. Oh, man, what's life? Well, okay, I'm not going to get into that because I'm going to get too wild and crazy about my weapons, but that's... If you, um, brave souls who donated between the last episode and this one, there wasn't much of a gap, so only a couple of people. We have Mark Boyd, and uh, I didn't catch a name for the second person. We have just the company, the Reptile Company, out of, I believe it was San Antonio, Texas, if I remember correctly. And uh, thank you so much. And in that sense, uh, every single person was donated through this year. You guys are... I mean, when you do the math, it's basically about less than 1% of people who listen to the podcast actually donate. So you guys belong to a special crazy group of people who decide to send money for something that's given out for free. That makes you either really crazy or the sweetest person on earth or maybe both. Nice combination, I think. Yes. So we really appreciate it. And some of you guys, you know, not included in the less than 1% are the people who have used the Amazon link or people who maybe got something from that Susar or on it. So I'm sure there are other people who are supporting us in other ways, and that's also much appreciated, but we have no statistics on that. And then there's also the obvious, you know, you guys have no money, which is fine, I get it. I understand having no money. The, um, if you have an iTunes account, just write us a review. That's really sweet. That's another way that doesn't involve a single dime spent on your part that really requires about a total of 180 seconds for you to write a quick review so if you can do that and write us a review on itunes that's also really sweet and we don't mean to sound like you know the pbs fundraising drive but you know this kind of is an exciting moment to to reach you know a second year i don't we weren't totally sure we'd make it to a second episode when we started yep and um we really do appreciate everybody listening so we're not trying to bang the tambourine and, and pass the bucket around or anything like that but support our sponsors if you can Send a little bit if you ever have a moment. I think I always love what Duncan would say, you know, if you give $2 (laughs) to Bank of America to get $20 out of your account, you can send us two on occasion. 
didn't, I didn't know that kind of was in studio. It wasn't anything like it. It was kind of a terrifying uh, Elmo Duncan blend right there. Yeah, that's okay. Sometimes Duncan, I think, believes he's Elmo, so that's okay. <laughs> it's... So I, I guess long story short, thanks everybody. You know, we wouldn't be here right now if you, there wasn't people out there listening, and, and it means a lot to us. And uh, as always, I got to push, check out Kiva.org. It's microloans. Uh, you're putting $25 into a pot to assemble 1250 so somebody can get something very important to them. And these are folks that would not be able to get loans otherwise. You know, there's not too many loans going out in Uganda. And I do hear people complain like, well, it's like a 35% loan. Well, that's true, but the fees that are attached to a $500 loan are essentially what they would be for a $10,000 loan, but when you reduce it to that amount, it seems like a bigger bigger right. piece. But these the, the folks that, that, that do the field work are really out in the world helping people out, and uh, they're hardworking folks, and they really are making a difference. And you can help out, and so far, the, the, the free introductory loan is still available. Just drop me an email, therichimon.com. T-H-E-R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N at gmail.com and I can fire you out a, uh, it's like a starter kit or, or, or a free first loan so you can try it out. Uh, you don't get that money back for yourself but you just see how it works and money that you do put out that's the cool part. If you put $25 out to somebody and the money comes back to you, you can lend it again. So that same 25 bucks can go out over and over and over every 18 months for the rest of time. And uh, it's a pretty amazing thing. So I think that fits really well with our sort of uh, philosophy towards the world mm -hmm. that we're here to help each other. And if we can't start learning it, it's going to be too late. So That's going to fit very well with today's episode in particular because the man we'll be talking about has a lot to say in, in that regard about mutual kindness among human beings so your, your your tanner primer will be first and then an incredible uh interview with bobby yep thanks for being back everybody and uh here's to another great year let's roll Here are some great quotes from an awesome human being for you guys. Let's start with the first one. I will do nothing lightly. When I walk, I will walk heavily. When I fight, I will fight with conviction. When I speak, I will speak strongly. When I feel, I will feel everything. When I love, I will love with everything. Our lives are consumed in a selfish, self-absorbed quest for possessions the latest and the best in a never-ending cycle until the day we die. We forget what it means to be truly human. We forget the things that really matter. We lose the magic of what life should be. And one that's particularly dear to my outlaw morality, I will not live by rules that make no sense to me. And one that should be pretty dear to rich, very nice-hearted feelings, this is one of my favorite quotes. I love this one. Say, one of the ultimate things that a human can learn is kindness for their fellow humans. The man speaking all these things is um, former UFC champion Evan Tanner. That wasn't Gandhi. <laughs> you think, right? Yeah. 
Evan, did, did he write this stuff? Was he like a poet as well? Yeah, or is this he's, stuff that spewed out of him day to day? That's how Tanner spoke. That's the kind of thing that's that, awesome. Uh, when they ask him about his motivation for fighting, you know, why does he do that? Why does I want to become champion? I wanna, no, what Tanner replied was, I want to make the world a better place. That's my motivation behind fighting. In order to gain enough popularity to have an audience to deliver a certain message that he felt that he couldn't do otherwise. That's a strange human being, to say the least. And speaking of quotes, today I'm going to read you guys some stuff before we get to an interview, before other things. There are a few things I want to read to you about Evan Tanner. These come to us courtesy of our friend, Mr. Joe Rogan. Right after Evan Tanner died, uh, Joe wrote down on his blog the following. Evan was a lot more than a normal person. He was a fascinating individual, a wandering spirit in search of adventure, in the truest sense of the term. I was a regular reader of Evan's blog, and although I had always appreciated him as a fighter and a friendly person to talk to, it was in reading his writings that I came to better understand his spirit. His blog was a porthole into the wind of his soul, and reading his brave, uncensored thoughts gave me an invigorated sense of purpose to do the same. Evan's take on life was like that of a character in an, in an adventure novel, and his thirst for experience was actually what led him into fighting in the first place. I can remember the first time I watched him fight, when I read that he learned his techniques from a videotape and was self-trained. I thought that it takes a really unusual person to enter into the toughest sport in the world that way. He took that unusual energy and channeled it to become the UFC middleweight champion of the world. He was that and more. Evan Tanner has left the rest of us trapped in this life and has moved on to the next stage of existence where he will undoubtedly find adventure beyond his wildest imagination. In doing so, he has left the world a little less interesting. That was Joe Rogan about Evan Tanner. And uh, since I'm reading you guys stuff, might as well roll with it. Uh, here is going to be a read that lasts a while because this is an article that I've written uh, in Italian. Well, I'm not going to read it to you guys in Italian. I translated ah. it, so just <laughs> don't worry. But uh, here is an article that i written for an Italian magazine shortly after Evan Thunder's death. I translated it in English. Maybe I'll post a link somewhere trying to have it uh, online for you. I'll put, if I do, I'll put it in the episode notes so you guys can actually understand what I'm saying rather than just hearing my voice, which you guys will be... You know, I'm sure that guy's saying something interesting, just who knows what the fuck he's saying, <laughs> but that's, uh, so let me roll with this piece on Tanner, because I, I was thinking, actually, I didn't want to read you guys a thing, it felt weird in a podcast, but as I was trying to put together a whole uh, long extended intro to give you a feel for who Evan Tanner was, I realized I was making so many of these points in this article that it was kind of hard to... I found it almost easier to just to deliver it as is. And so let's roll. Well, it was a great idea, too, because we didn't want to eat up Bobby's time telling this story. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. In we fact, get ready to the meat of that. So Yeah. And now for your entertainment. Here we go. Eddie Vedder's voice keeps ringing in my ears. I've been obsessively listening to the same song for days now. Off He Goes by Pearl Jam. My iPod tells me that I've now hit the play button for the 165th consecutive time. I try, but I can't get away from this damn song. My obsession began in early September, when I received a piece of news that I never wanted to hear. Evan Tanner is dead. 
the title of the article is precise and leaves no room for hope. Apparently Tanner ventured too deep into the deserts of Southern California and never managed to get out. Stranded with no water and no gas for his motorcycle, Tanner fought his last battle against the pitiless sun and the sun won. The almost 120 degrees recorded that day killed him as he was trying to find a way out on foot. To the world of mixed martial arts, the 37-year-old Tanner was the former middleweight UFC champion. To me, he was much, much more. It's not by chance that a Pearl Jam song would make me think of Tanner. The last entry in his blog told how he was listening to Eddie Vedder while he was preparing for a trip into the desert. A spiritual pilgrimage to try to rid himself of the demons that have been haunting him all his life. Off he goes in particular since the perfect song for Tanner. A man whose overabundant personality seems to be made to be celebrated by Eddie Vedder's melancholic voice. When Vedder sings, it's like his thoughts are too big for his size. It's as if he was speaking about Evan Tanner. It would be difficult, in fact, to come up with a better epitaph for a man like Tanner, somebody in whose veins run emotions too powerful to allow him a normal life. Whereas most human beings have an emotional range that goes from minus one when they are sad and depressed to plus one when they are overwhelmed with joy, Tanner switched from minus ten to plus ten. For some odd reason, he was born different. From the start, destiny prepared him for a path made of broken hearts and triumph. A wild ride that sees him homeless and alcoholic as well as UFC world champion. For any other athlete in combat sports, winning the UFC belt would be the goal of a lifetime. For better, for Tanner, is barely more than a step along the way. Tanner, after all, ended up being a professional fighter almost by chance. Fighting for him was only a way to challenge his limits and forge his spirits. But his world was much, much bigger than competitive sports. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, wrote Henry David Thoreau. To front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what, what it had to teach, and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. Imagine taking Thoreau's spirit, put it in the body of a cage fighter, and maybe we can begin to get a sense of who Ivan Tanner was. His journey began in Amarillo, Texas, on February 11, 1971. Since he was a child, Tanner didn't exactly fit the mold of the typical Texan. In school, he often remained silent, very quiet, extremely independent, certainly not one of the popular kids. Even his friends find him a bit weird. As Nietzsche would put it, wild and foreign, even to those who love you. Growing up in Texas must have not been easy for an hypersensitive guy like Tanner. Maybe this is why he often seeks solitude and quiet. In high school something changed. At 15 he begins to wrestle. Contrary to nearly all of his teammates, he's never wrestled before. But his talent is undeniable. The lack of experience doesn't prevent him from becoming state champion for two consecutive years. When he walks through the halls in school, no one takes notice of him, but any time he steps on the mat, everyone's eyes are on him. He reminds me of the Lakota hero Crazy Horse. Pathologically shy, Crazy Horse didn't speak much. His voice was often barely more than a whisper, and he showed little interest for the things that filled the dreams of his friend. Most of the time, he was on his own. His weird behavior pushed other Lakota to nickname him our strange man. It would be easy to ignore him, or treat him like a nutcase, but Crazy Horse, like Tanner, possessed an unbelievable power. 
since he was young anytime he went to battle against rival tribes or the US army Crazyhorse was invincible bullets would fly all around him and he would barely take notice while everyone else though for cover Crazyhorse would regularly, char- regularly charge the enemy to rescue fallen friends the other Dakota couldn't tell but take notice of his inexplainable disturbing skills he was a fighting demon who was never introduced to fear and the same goes for Tander he was weird no doubt about it no one can understand what force moved inside of him but everyone realized that he had access to extraordinary abilities after high school his college life was quickly over not because he lacked the grade on the contrary he made the dean's honor list but because he didn't feel stimulated enough academic schooling didn't feed his restless soul too abstract too intellectual too many useless notions and not enough warmth this by the way you guys can get the feeling i relate to that um, I'll skip because I don't want to kill you guys with something that's too long and gets into too many details so I'll jump around through a few things but basically one of the things that happened is in 1997 Tanner decided to use his wrestling experience to make his debut in a local MMA promotion and uh, you know this like all of his choices was not exactly the result of a well thought plan he just thought that ah, it sounds like a good adventure why not fighting against other tough Texans in a ring placed in the middle of a rodeo arena yes that just a good Saturday night so his plan was to enter the tournament and retire he had no intention of turning fighting into a profession or anything but it didn't quite pan out that way because Tanner won the tournament defeating three, op- three different opponents in the same night one of them will be UFC contender Paul Bantello and the audience loved him so much that this organization kept pulling him again and again and you know he quickly won the championship in that organization and things were thunder decided you know by the time he decided okay i guess i am fighting after all he his way of fixing the technical holes that were in his uh, martial arts skills was to get some vhs and start studying tape which is ridiculous because you know that's not how you how you learn stuff well, that is not how you learn stuff unless you are Evan Tander, because he did. Uh, he apparently had a photographic memory that allowed him to remember pretty much anything he saw. So, I mean, the guy was a freak in a lot of ways. This, he, this was the paradox. On one end, these amazing skills make him special and makes him excel in ways that other people can't understand, but they also make him freaking lonely because the thing is no one can understand the world the way he feels it and he sees it people can care about him they still can't reach him in a way so there's a big element of loneliness in his story there's an element of like a sense of feeling constantly different from everyone else even in a good way it's bound to make you feel lonely particularly for a guy like Tanner who had these very heavy emotions going he didn't do anything lightly you know everything there was a lot of emotion to it and one of the ways he started dealing with it is heavy self-medication with alcohol which is probably not the best possible choice one can make but it's a typical one when you're trying to silence the demons screaming too loud his MMA in the meantime continues he at some point goes to fight in Japan and he just demolished the competition left and right he climbs up the UFC ladder finds himself fighting for the light heavyweight um, championship against Tito Ortiz loses the fight and um, 
he goes back, wins some more, loses one against Rich Franklin, you know, he's kind of in the mix, and uh, eventually he decides to join a camp, Team Quest, train with them for a while, start this crazy run by defeating a whole bunch of contenders, and eventually he gets a second championship opportunity, this, this time in the middleweight class against David Terrell. Now, realistically, Tanner had no chance in hell against David Terrell. Terrell was a jiu-jitsu monster. He was insanely good. He, on his feet, he had just finished knocking out McLean, Matt Lindlan, who was one of the top contenders in the division for the longest time. He didn't look good. It just, on paper, it looked like a suicide match. And um, except the matches are not fought on paper, and uh, Tanner was... Now, keep in mind, in all of this, going in a fight again, that you should lose, because... Terrell was objectively better than Tanner. To add something to make the whole thing even more complicated, he has some romantic trouble at this time where a relationship drives him into heavy, heavy drinking. The title match is only two months away and Tanner by now is drinking so much that he can't even keep food down. So he's alcoholic to a level that he's in horrible shape. You know, they're two months away from a title fight. Good luck. With some titanic effort of the wheel, Tanner manages to quit drinking, start training like a madman, somehow manage to get in perfect shape right before the match with David Terrell, and beat the hell out of him in the first round, wins the world championship. I mean, just stuff that make no sense. Eventually, he'll lose the title at his first defense against Rich Franklin. Now, if you guys want to see something that captures samurai spirit in a fight Evan Thunder's second fight with Rich Franklin, that's a fight he loses you know, he starts well, he drops Franklin with a good cross in the first round after that it turns bad Franklin starts tearing him apart round after round after round and you see Thunder just getting beat up bad and bloodied up left and right and the guy just keep stepping up it's like you don't stop it's obviously a fight that he has lost there's no chance in hell he can reverse it but there's no telling that to thunder he just unless you kill him he's not gonna stop eventually in between rounds the ref is gonna call it the, the doctor is gonna look at him and say no we're not continuing this but doing him a favor because he would have kept up but you know that's like crazy samurai spirit right there Tanner disappears from the mixed martial art world for a while. He um, just, in between random wild adventure, brilliant blog writings, uh, heavy drinking, the whole thing, tries to make a comeback into the UFC, gets in amazing shape, all considered, but all the years of alcohol abuse have definitely taken a toll. And eventually, a few months later, he embarks on his last trip, where he decides to... He wants to go off into the desert for some sort of spiritual journey in a way to cleanse himself up from all the crap he has accumulated. And Tanner admits, even on his blog, when people read it, they're like, hey man, are you sure? You know, it's 120 degrees out there. It doesn't sound like you're going with a ton of gear. What are you doing? You know, and and the guy is like, he um, doesn't help the Thunder in the meantime, he's listening, preparing for the trip while listening to Eddie Vedder's song taken from Into the Wild, a story about Christopher McCandles, a young man who inspired by Turo writings, venturing the Alaskan wilderness and die there. So eerily disturbing that, because that's basically what's going to end up with Thunder. He doesn't 
think that's what's gonna end up he said no that's not what i'm trying to do it's just gonna be a kind of a tough adventure where i'm gonna face my fears and deal with it doesn't quite pan out that way and one of the things that is um i mean one of the things about thunder is that after everything that happened happened he ran out of water ran out of gas the spring that was supposed to be there that he had planned the whole journey about turns out to have dried up in the meantime so there's no water where it was supposed to be not a good way to go and when you look at tanner's life it's safe to say that tanner was not a perfect man as a fighter or as a man you know there are lots of issues with both but his drive his heart are greater than any sterile notion of perfection no regrets no complaints the only thing that tanner made room for in his life is this great desire to taste life in all of its intensity even when it makes you shed tears of blood and i mean how can you not love a man like that that's just amazing and uh, that's why i think today talking about Evan Tanner. I've been wanting to talk about Evan Tanner for a long time on the podcast and today we're going to have a perfect opportunity since um, Bobby's planning a movie about Evan Tanner so that's this is a match made in heaven. I love this but let me tell you guys a little bit more about Tanner and then we turn our, to our interview. Now one thing that always puzzled me about not so much Evan Tanner but the response by a lot of people to Evan Tanner is the fact that Evan managed to get the best in people, like people respond to a guy who's so damn genuine like Tanner was in everything he did. At the same time, you also have a bunch of people who react with the most cynicism ever, which is kind of easy to do with a guy who clearly fucked up a lot of times, right? There are a lot of choices that he had made that are not the choices you want to make. Just the amount of alcohol he has ingested in his life by itself, that's pretty right there that's bad enough but there are all these long list of evil assholes who are all like pointing finger at Tanner and go like oh he's him just this crazy hippie who didn't know he has so much talent and wasted it and he's stupid blah 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 and all of that and it's like what I think happens about this the reason why I think people react so viciously at times with Tanner's story I mean it's the majority it's the minority the majority of people react very well but you do get this sort of vicious nasty reaction is I think he in a way was a living example that challenged their mediocrity the fact that he was so intense in everything in his amazing triumphs in his horrendous mistake in everything he has done I think made the, makes a lot of people feel bad about themselves because they so it becomes easier to just point wherever Tanner was fucking up and say oh look at Evan he's a fuck up that way you don't have to look at yourself and the fact that you'll never in your wildest dream live up to the worst Tanner mistake there's not gonna be half as much life in most of the stuff that most people do compared to that well you almost always get that anytime you have an inspiring figure you yeah. know you There's going to be backlash. And, oh, well, fuck that guy. You know? yeah. And Tanner definitely leaves a lot of room for that. Sure. Because it makes it even easier. Yeah. He's not a guy who clearly is, walks a perfect path from beginning to end. Yeah. But the man is larger than life. You know, there's more epic in his failures than in most of Disaster's greatest success. So I just feel that the um, there's 
of all people, like Theodore Roosevelt quote that I dig. Now, Theodore Roosevelt was an evil fuck in a lot of ways. Yeah, he was insanely terrible. racist. He had a lot of, but at the same time, you know what? This is a guy that I clearly don't like and agree with on a lot of things, but the man had some serious spirit in him. And so there's something I admire. And some of his quotes are, like this one quote has been repeated so many zillion times that by now is almost rhetoric, but it's so damn good. It's like I can, and I feel that it perfectly applies to the whole Tanner versus critics type of story. And here is Mr. Theodore Roosevelt. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, by the way, that's hers, E-R-R-S, because I can never fucking pronounce that word, but in any case, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spend himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls, who neither know victory nor defeat. Now, I forgive a man for being an evil racist if he can write something like that. That's just beautiful. Doesn't make up for it, doesn't justify it, but damn, that's a good quote. And it doesn't really, I mean, it would be hard to imagine something that applies to Tanner better than that. That just absolutely describes the man, describes the relationship with a lot of the people trying to bring him down. And... Um, I don't know, man. It's like there are not there are many fighters in MMA that I admire, that I think highly of. Some people that I've met, some that are really nice people, some that are smart. There's all of that. When it comes to epic, and I know I'm using this word a lot in this podcast, but, but it's not used uh, freely or cheaply. It's like really when it, when talking about Evan Tanner, epic is the word that comes to mind. When it comes to Epic, no one even hold the candle to Evan Thunder. The man is just something else. Strongly encourage you guys. Maybe I'll put a link in the episode notes. Uh, some of the video showing Thunder's interviews to just him chatting. You got a feel for who the man was like. And quite amazing, if I may say so. On that note, I guess we can roll on our interview with Bobby Radzak. And and be sure to, there'll be about eighteen days left available on his Indiegogo um, fundraiser to try to get this Evan Tanner film made. So be sure to check it out. You know, chuck him five dollars if you can to help him get to his his uh, amount that he needs to make his film. Because as you're about to find out, he is obviously a, a very uh, passionate person and uh, would really like to get this done. And you know, what a better person to make a film about? So definitely, here comes another great interview. What's exciting, man? How did this come to be? How did you uh, bump into Bolelli? Uh, just uh, the beauty of Twitter. <laughs> it is beautiful, yeah, isn't yeah. it? I mean, his, actually, he has quite a few followers. I think you're a lot. 12, yeah. 15, 16,000, 16, isn't it? It's a lot, bro. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, but I mean, this thing is working really nice. Oh, yeah. You know, it's going, we're happy with it. It's like building it slowly but oh, surely. Sure, yeah. Like, shit, we're, when we talked to Dan Carlin last time, he was telling us how he, when he started, he was at nothing. Right. And now he has a million downloads. 
That's insane. No way. One yeah, that's million. A real He's number. turning them into cash total, right? Yeah, that's all, yeah. That's all he lives on. Yeah, I know. You know I've like, been hearing it. Good for him. You know, I've, that's I've been awesome. researching it the last three weeks. This was blown me away. Well, yeah. it just really feels like at the end of the day, man, with all the government, you know, clampdowns, that this may be it when this it comes down it, to bro. it. You this know? is the truth. This yep. is this is where it'll this come from. For this sure. is a revolution, man. No, I have no <laughs> doubt in my mind, Indeed, and I feel it's about to happen. So yeah, no doubt, bro. I'd be happy to be the first one shot if I have to. <laughs> I don't want to die. But... <laughs> okay, so we got rolling. Yeah, we're rolling. Nice. Um, so now that you guys know all there is to know, or something close to it, about Evan Tanner, here we have a man who's got a lot to say on this, and uh, he's gonna do something pretty special on it. Bobby Radzak, here with us. It's great having you. Pleasure, pleasure to be here, guys. And uh, among many things that Bobby is going to tell us about what he has done, what he's going to do, there's a special product that he has going on right now, specifically about Evan Tanner. Um, Want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I just started Indiegogo campaign, and it's called One. I also did a short movie, a short documentary called One, and it's really on the death of, uh, of Evan Tanner, how he died mm-hmm. in a place called Clap Springs. The reason why I wanted to make this film, this short film, and I want to do the feature, because there's a lot of controversy around his dead. Was it suicide? Was it a, was it a drunken fueled night in the mm-hmm. desert? Was he going to go out there and finish it all? And there was all these questions that needed to be answered. So I'm a very investigative filmmaker. I think in a past life, I was probably an investigator. <laughs> so um, I, surely I've been on the other side of the track a lot to know how they work. So, you know, for me, it was like, you know what? I have to go to Clap Springs and, and figure this out. And to put it in perspective, Evan was so famous. There was so much media. There was so much press. Nobody ever went to Clap Springs to investigate. Wow. wow. I was the first media guy. That's crazy. That's completely crazy when you think about it. How were the um, local authorities? Were they pretty easy to get along with? Or were they trying to hide anything? Or did they get along with you pretty well? You know, they were a little nervous of me in the beginning. Because it, I took a couple of trips to kind of gain their, their trust. You know, I'm a guy. I'm very stern. The way I ask questions. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. I get to the point. So, you know how I'm kind of reversing it onto the police and right. the authorities. So they're a little bit nervous. But then after a while, I made them feel comfortable. And then they opened up. But it took a little time. Excellent. By the way, I'm pleased, I'm extremely pleased that tonight I'm not the only guy with a heavy accent. <laughs> hey, on my mortal football enemy, Italy nice. versus London, <laughs> <Right>. England. <laughs> and I'm equally pleased that Bambi was just telling me he has been here as long as I am and still has that accent. So I'm yeah, so happy. Exactly, this is great. Exactly. This uh, is in the blood. You said you came here about 20 years ago? Been 20 years now, yeah. Wow. Uh, what, c- um, what prompted you to come over here? What I, was the... Want to be a director? That was it, huh? Directing yeah. and uh, so. Before we get back to Evan Tanner, which is gonna be, you know, then something that we're gonna focus on a bunch. Tell us a little bit about you, though. You know, you came here about twenty years ago for directing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've seen some. Actually, I've seen some of your work before. I saw Rites of Passage. I saw several things oh, you've done yeah, <laughs> on VHS. Still on VHS. Wow. I saw Rites of Passage. Damn, so you're OG. There was yeah. That's the way to oh do it. Right? It's amazing that was acceptable, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. What well, that blew me away. I mean, so you're old time martial artist, martial art fan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've watched UFC. I think since UFC three. That was my first oh, UFC. So you guys are legit. Like, 
the, <laughs> so it's, I have like the weirdest things. Like wow. the other day I was rolling with some guy and he was showing this move and I see this like light in his eye of like, cause it's totally crazy move. And he's like, right. this one was done once. I'm like, bus route and in pancreas, obviously, right? And he was like, wow. oh yes, you know. I like, wow, well I so. just finished a movie, which I need to give you guys a private screening called The History of MMA. Nice. And it's finished, we have a distribution deal, it's airing February 2014. And it's the entire history of our sport. I you love it. Watch it. Now, when did you start with the stock library? Was it back in the three, four days that well, far back? Oh, yeah. Or? I mean, I've been filming all my life I mean, since I was a young kid. But obviously, as soon as I UFC 1, UFC 2, UFC 4, I started getting the camera out. Right, right. Just started recording everything and, and getting what I can. Did you, um, did you ever think it would amount to this? Wasn't too sure. I mean, I was one of the originators of Tap Out. I mean, I was one of the guys who helped create the brand. I was there from the brand with the very beginning nice. with Punk House and Charles Mars Lewis, which is another film I just finished on Mars, mm-hmm. you see. I don't know if you saw the Ferrari commercial, but it's right. It's a stunning movie, um, really stunning movie, probably my best film ever did. And uh, we, you know, we built Tap Out from the very beginning, and mm-hmm. I was the guy who was in charge of branding the commercials, coming up the ideas, and we had a billion-dollar idea, and, uh, and I took it to the top, you know? Nice, 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 man. And so I just you- kept filming. You right know? and then writes a passage and yep. then you know next thing you know i do like 30 commercials a year and a lot of it is in the space i mean i've did every na- major brand i mean i did from ufc to pride right all the tap out jumbotrons every tap out commercial hayabusa nice everything you can think mma I, i've touched it you know spike you name it why mma why are you so fascinated with it you know it's i was born with the bloodline you know what i mean my first one of my first tap out commercial campaigns was called bloodlines and i think it's in my blood man I, I, my dad took me to do judo when I was six, and nice. I was always fascinated by, you know, boxing and right. martial arts. I competed, I trained. I don't know, man. It's just it's in your blood, you know. Yep, yep, you feel yep. me, guys? It's in oh, your blood, big right? time! It's like to me when, uh, yeah, it, it's a trip. It's yeah. a trip. I think it's like my dad was saying. He's like, because we always have. I always have an argument with my dad about when how much culture influences how much mm. is DNA in a way, right? And he was saying, yeah, man, I mean, yeah, okay, culture and all, but why is it that your daughter just watches, at two years old, watches the romantic scenes in Disney movie and she's all moved? And all you wanted to see when two years old was people bashing each other in the head. And I was like, yeah, yeah okay. Because I tend to de- emphasize the culture aspect more, yeah. but that was one of those cases where I was like, oh, okay, I see the point. There may be but something also it's there. intellectual that, too, man. Right. If you look at a lot of people that gravitate, like we're kind of intellectuals. I think the long-term fans are like that. I think people might have a perception that, you know, people involved in the sport are broody and rough mm-hmm. but we're not man you look at josh gross loretta hunt we right just talking you know about all that. these people like yeah, are, yeah. are, are pseudo intellectuals because mm-hmm. it's very intelligent sport too yeah and that i think is, that's why evan thunder is such an awesome character in the sport because there are many there are a ton of great fighters in the history of mma there's a ton of great human beings but guys like evan are just from another world you know it's so peculiar so weird so in the best possible sense weird where he's not he's as far from the stereotype that people have of an mma fighter as one can be and that's what makes it fascinating Mm. but it feels like it feels like the stereotype is sort of switching at this point i mean it really was you know your brock lesnar and your big kind of lunkhead smash Mm -hmm. but you gotta be a smart guy to pull this shit off or Mm -hmm. you're gonna get beat exactly yep there's so much going on it's so fast so many skill sets you gotta learn grappling jujitsu i mean learning 
I'm about to get my black belt, Higa Machada. I mean, I've been training 18 years. I mean, wow. Check you out. Now, nice. nice. Even now, it's like I get baffled by some of the moves. It's such a cerebral sport. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. No. Well, the popularity shows that it's definitely here to stay. Oh, yeah. It's it's it, amazing to watch boxing just collapse. Yeah, major. And uh, you I know, was a that, big boxing fan. No, I think, I think we all were. That yeah. was pretty much the outlet. You had that and you had the, like, the old school kickboxing. And that was basically yeah. it, you know, in the 80s for sure. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you a quick film geek question? Mm-hmm. What camera are you liking these days? Because I'm Alexa the C300. My uh, I, I just sold my C300. Really? So there's something better? Uh, well, no. I mean, I, I had it for one year. I did a couple of commercials. I shot my Mask movie and a few inserts for History of MMA, and I maxed it out. And I got kind of bored of it. I mean, I like high-powered toys. Right, right. You know, the Arri Alexa high-speed you know, camera is the best to me. I, mean, I used their Epic for most commercials. Sure. I've messed around the F55, which is kind of sexy a little bit too. And I think the C300 is a great compact camera. Yeah. But it has a lot of limitations too in terms of the file size, the resolution. No, good for going out and spacing. picking up things when you don't have a lot of support crew with yeah. you. Yeah, 5D on steroids. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Still amazing though. Oh, it's amazing for... Pound for pound, it's a great camera. Yeah, especially for what you get for minimal lighting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the ISO miracle is a miracle, man. It's like almost infrared, isn't it? You yeah, know what I mean, it like really twenty thousand ISO. Stunning. Sorry about that, everybody. Nice. And so, combining your passion for cinema, your passion for MMA. You stumble on this, and that's what you have been doing for quite a while now, right? I would say 60% of my work. I do actually non-MMA stuff mm-hmm. to pay the bills, but when I do something MMA-related, the money is never the same as my regular work. So what it is, I always get to brand my work. Right. If I do something that's a blue chip, mm-hmm. then you know it's all about the product. Yeah. yeah. But if it's to do with MMA, I have such a good brand in the sport, they allow me to kind of cross-pollinate and bring my name branding to it like i'm the only guy that ever had like if you see some of the ufc jumbotron commercials mm-hmm. you'll see directed by bobby Razak nice nice at the end of the jumbotron because i had that kind of juice in mma but also the money wasn't there too yeah so that's kind of like the thank you back to me you know what's so. that what kind of access do they give you on fight night do you have a few cameras there or do you just uh, well any? i'm i'm defected now I'm <laughs> oh. so i got you i'm the enemy right now but he allowed me to shoot at 155 for uh my Charles Mars Lewis insert. But, you know, when I do the Bellator show opens or anything Bellator-based, right. I mean, I can do what I want. I mean, like, I very... It's crazy, man. Like, they allow me to go steady cam right in the cage. I mean, like, mm. the stuff they allow me to do is crazy. <laughs> but in UFC, you wouldn't be allowed no. that kind of access because I'm so, you know, right in the mix. But Bellator, they allowed me. And I think I'll show you the, the rough for the opening later. It's, it's Beautiful. worth it. Yeah, awesome. love to see it, definitely. Yeah. By the way, we're gonna put the links to um, to the documentary you already have about Evan Tanner. We're gonna put uh, the links to the fundraising campaign. So, you guys want to check that out? They're all gonna be in the episode notes. So make sure to check that out. You want to do the Indiegogo pitch right now, just so we don't forget? Sure. Why not? If you, whatever you guys. Yeah. Yeah, guys, go to uh, eventanafilm.com and it go directly to my Indiegogo page. Um, the way Indiegogo do it is all these slashes. Mm-hmm. I can't remember it. So go to eventanafilm.com, route to my Indiegogo page. Any uh, Anything you can give me to help, any donation, I so, so appreciate. Evan Tanner was an incredible spiritual soul, and I really want to honor him to do this film. It's not about the money. Everything I do is never about the money. It's about the passion. But nobody in traditional Hollywood wants to support yep. someone like Evan because he's course. too out the box. Yep. So I need the people. So power to the people. 
please help me evantanafilm.com i mm. would be greatly appreciative you can reach me email we'll go out for dinner anything you want man you need i'll be there to if you help me with this film beautiful love it the film itself you said you're gonna focus mostly on the death of evan tanner so start of his last journey and what happened during that time because mm -hmm. clearly even in terms of just budget since obviously you can compete with you know hollywood blockbusters with budget you have to yeah. do something that's a little more focus on one guy in a desert mm -hmm. and everything that goes with it how do you plan on tackling that like that's i, I got the fit you know i got the general idea of the mm -hmm. whole thing anything particular that you're planning to play with well the thing that i really want to play with i actually really gonna i mean when i shot the one doc i actually mm -hmm. shot it in his real the desert where he died yeah. so i want to shoot the film in a real location right like when i do the death scene i'm gonna really do it where he died at. yeah i'm a great believer in energy and i think yeah. i can capture the energy um a lot of it to do is like you know i really want to you know really capture the energy and i feel if i go there i really felt a connection to evan and mm -hmm. it's gonna be difficult you know the place where he died is really dangerous yeah very mountainous but yeah. i have the search and rescue friends that i made so i'll have the search and rescue team with me the sheriffs are with me um i'm gonna go in a cold season so i don't have to worry about the heat right yeah. and then obviously in color correction i can make it like 120 degrees <laughs> you as an editor know nice. what i can what magic i can bring i want to shoot with uh, anamorphic lenses i want to kind of really bring that lawrence of arabia David Lean was one of my favorite yeah. directors growing up. Dr. Shivago. Yeah, yeah. I really want to bring that Vista scope to the movie. <laughs> and also I'm going to do flashbacks too as well. I mean, I want to... Studying the process of dying with the coroner is very fascinating. Right. All these chemicals, certain chemicals are made in the body and, and the body is saying, you're about to die and I'm going to slowly start to shut you off. And, you know, they cause you to hallucinate, go into mm -hmm. another spiritual realm. So sure. I want to do intricate flashbacks too in terms of what he may have done wrong in the past and maybe he's rectifying in his mind mm -hmm. in a nutshell i see this i see his death as not necessarily a bad thing mm -hmm. i see it as a beautiful thing i see it as like it was his ultimate fight his ultimate journey and he went on a high spiritual level and this is what he was always looking for and he went on that Moses, Jesus, Muhammad trip, you right. know, 40 days in the desert. Yeah. He didn't survive it. But can you imagine the level of spirituality and the level of elation and, and everything, all the impurities, mental, psychological, spiritual, all came to this focal point it's almost like he's going to be reborn as a god now you know or regardless you know it's so much better than dying you know in a fucking fiery auto wreck on the 405 or all or, or in some <laughs> exactly. hospital with a thousand tubes in you man exactly he went all the way to the very end yeah and uh, I, I sort of get that spirit out of you as well you obviously knew what you wanted to do from the beginning and you've chased it endlessly man. and if you could to our friends out there in podcast land because we get tons of letters of folks like what am i going to do i yeah. can't figure my life out Find what you love and go fucking do it. Yeah, because yeah. you got one chance at this. Yeah, one chance, baby. And uh, that's and that's the beauty of Tanner. That's actually later when uh, when we close everything. There's gonna be a Tanner quote. That's one of my favorite of all times that I wanna later when we wrap things up. But yeah, the guy had this passion for life at good bad you know almost like a Nietzsche thing like beyond good and evil you know it's beyond. like he's so epic in a way that of course he fucked up horribly so many times there are clearly a lot of mistakes sure. that he would be the first one to admit yes that probably wasn't my best idea but it's all <laughs> part of this sort of epic sense of approaching life with this more heart than anything else and 
Tanner's worst mistake contained more was more legendary and had more heart than most people's greatest success. You know what I mean? The guy was just lived with passion, breathed with passion, everything he did had passion. Mm-hmm. How can you go wrong? I mean, even when yeah. you fuck up, you're still a great human being. That's yeah, just- you're still, a, you're still a legend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's how it is. So as far as the um, doing an independent movie is clearly a challenge because obviously you have the budget issue, you know, people, viewers are spoiled. You know, mm, we're right. used to having, you know, your $100 million movie that you watch all the time. And so oh, of what course- What could I do yeah. about $100 million? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. 10 oh, movies. You know, uh, probably then, more yeah. 100 movies. Yeah, yeah. and that's <laughs> really? the thing, even when you're talking about uh, independent films, like one of my old time favorite independents, there was this one by Karen Kusama. She did this uh, Girl Fight, was the first movie by yeah. Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was mm-hmm. the first one. Was the first film that broke around as a yep. star, yeah. Oh. And Karen Kusara, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And oh, that gosh. was, I, I mean, it was amazing. It was an independent on a relatively low budget, but relatively still a big word because relatively she had a million dollar to do. Yeah, yeah, that's still a bunch of money. You know? A lot of money. So how are you gonna deal with the, you know, the fact that clearly, as much as we hope for some gentle soul to drop a million dollar in your lap, right? You know you're gonna have to deal with a more limited budget probably. Yes. How do you, how are you gonna tackle that? The challenge of uh, low budget and yet you're doing a powerful subject. And of course you need to, you all wanna come up with the yeah. best movie you can. I'm so experienced in the game right now. It's like, I know everything. I know the shoot and that's a light. I just, I know everything about this business and I know how to stretch a dollar. and. You know, some of the commercials that we did, you know, we use very high-end cameras, Alexas, Epics, you name it. And, you know, I would finish high-end commercials for like 7,000, 10,000. I mean, I just know how to wow. stretch a budget. <laughs> so it's like, I just think my experience, like yeah. 20 years as a director now, I just know how to stretch a dollar. And so where I also work in some of the big, you know, TV network stuff and I see the wastage and I'm always cringing. Like, yeah, yeah. like in the beginning working for like a network you know like I did American Revolutionaries TV series I was just cringing like oh my god wasted wasted and once one of my buddies was saying dude this is just the way it is you know just enjoy the wastage this is how it works at the top of level of the game right but when it's my money and and you know you know independent money I'm gonna stretch that dollar and make it the best I can and I know every shortcut and with nothing that's gonna make it look cheap I know to make it beautiful Everything is this experience. I'm like a seasoned champion, and if you want to put the rel- the relevance right. to the, into the fight, I know economy, emotion, yep. yeah, and I had yeah. to slip the punch, dip in, take down. I'm like Randy Couture. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and the five reference. And the money you can save in post now compared to 15 years ago is so oh, ridiculous. I mean, you can literally save. finish yeah. in your underwear in your house. Yeah. You know? I don't even consider post a budget anymore, to be honest. It's so, like you said, it's so cheap to do now. Yeah. It's almost, I don't even consider that. Buy like yourself a fresh new system and knock it out. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. 15 years ago was different. But oh, yeah. I now. remember media composers for, you know, 100 grand. It was yeah. Like, remember the rentals? It was like 2000 a week to rent. Easy. And then the drives were like gold. Oh my god! I remember trying to string together nine gig, you know, phone book sized scuzzy shit boxes. I remember. Hours just up there. We're we're doing it again. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's much better now. Let me tell you, to to be able to pull ten terabytes and drop that on the floor, and it's 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 mind blowing. Yeah, exactly. And that'll fit in your phone in two years. Exactly, man. Can you imagine? Yeah, not a bad deal. Huh? In five years, it will yeah. be cloud. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, would even be a hard device anymore. 
And I guess, I mean, one thing that is going to help you in this regard is the fact that you're focusing on a sort of a first-person narrative. He's, he's on Evan. He's by mm -hmm. himself, so you don't need, like, a whole big cast because you're yeah. in the middle of the damn desert. That's the whole point. Exactly, yeah. So that helps in the sense that you don't have to worry about having three gazillion people who show up on camera as part right. of the movie is very much on a man alone That's in the desert. totally going to help, yeah. But okay. there is going to be some flashback sequences, sure. but I'm going to really focus on the desert sequence and then I'm going to really build it from there. The beauty of doing that first too, like if I do a really beautiful cut, I can maybe raise some additional finance They can mm -hmm. see the first cut. And right, right. I can go, there's a couple of dressing room scenes I want to do. I wanna, I'm not too sure if I want to recreate a fight but I definitely want to do the dressing room, the walkout leading to the fights. Yep. Maybe when he's growing up. And two, it's it's Evan too. Evan was a loner, you know. Yep. Evan was yep. that kind of guy. He didn't really have too many friends, you know. He was into his own mind. So mm -hmm. it kind of works in perfectly to who he was too. Big time. Do you need to get, for a project like this about a real person, do you need to get rights or how does it work? Like, do you need to deal with the family? Do you need uh, to? No, I mean, I try to reach out to the family mm -hmm. and one of the members of the family, the brother, and they wouldn't even respond back to me. So, you know, it can get a little tricky. Sometimes yeah. you can do right. Sometimes you, you, you have to. But, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I'm basically basing it on the right of my short doc. So that's the right. original piece, which right. is another reason why I did the short doc. Yeah. So now I'm doing based on the short doc. So it depends. If you was going to do a big Hollywood blockbuster, you would do it. Yeah, of course. But, like, you, you know, Evan's tenor brother won't even return my phone call. Yeah, that's... And I, basically was deducting how he died like yeah and he wasn't close so it, yeah that says everything right there there's, there's a certain joy though to keeping it small not you know micro small but right. because you get to maintain control you know once things get into the 20 million range now you got focus groups and other people that come not even 20 million things. dude like even when i do like my network stuff my god oh, is there anything like, worse than notes like that yeah like the notes is like we change. don't get it yeah and then what it is, the worst thing is you'll change it and then it'll go back to what you originally did. Uh, it's just the way it is. So even even like when I do stuff in a half a million range network stuff, it's a nightmare to deal with. Working with TV execs is a nightmare. <laughs> did you um did you get to check out uh, Once I Was a Champion, the one that they yes, did? Yes, um... absolutely. Punkass was the producer who's mm -hmm. also the producer of this. He was a EP for that. He's the one that funded that. And I do know Gerald as well. So right. Gerald's a buddy of mine as well. What did you think of... Um... I don't know. I mean, I thought it was a good film. I thought it captured a lot about, you know, how he interacted with people and how people viewed him. So I think it was important with that. I think the only flaw was, was it kind of made it think cryptic about how he died. It kind of went on that path that mm, he was kind like of a, leaving the ambiguity. Yeah, he was going to go to the desert, commit suicide on a drunken spree and... and I didn't never get that from Evan that he wanted to kill himself. No, and so that's what not at all. bugged me. And I was like, if anything, seeing that film was like, was driving me crazy. How did this yeah. guy really die? Everybody was saying, I don't know. He was suicidal. He was drunk. So, you know, right. I was like, you know what? I'm going to find out how this yeah, guy died. Of course. So the, it, it, in many ways it fueled me. And I think he took it. It's a different film than what I was doing. It's a really how people perceived him. But, you know, it, it left so many questions for sure. me too and I need the answers yeah because some of that stuff even in the early days right after his death there was the case of like there was this one MMA fighter 
who changed his name into War Machine. That's <laughs> no, a buddy of mine, by the way. Yeah, War <laughs> Machine. hilarious. Yeah. It's awesome, right? Yeah. What's your name? Hello, my name is War Machine. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's actually uh, John Koppenheimer. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, and uh, I remember he actually got kicked out of USC because he had suggested that, uh, you know, Evan may have killed himself yeah. and they were so pissed about that. So there was, I mean, this old debate yeah. about what exactly happened was a big deal from mm-hmm. the get-go, right? Mm-hmm. It's something yeah. that... He did get kicked out. A lot of voices were heard about this. And yet at the same time, yeah, it wasn't, it was weird for as huge of how big the impact that Tanner has had. Um, They didn't really do much with it at UFC. It was like barely mentioned by Rogan on the the thing itself because Rogan was a big, you know, he really liked Tanner and so Mm -hmm. on. And that was that, you know, there was no big event about sort of a memorial or anything like that. After that, it just went just mm-hmm. under the radar and um that's why i think you probably do have a big audience of mma people and not mm-hmm. even that, that's a funny thing about thunder not even only mma people because you have people who mildly care about mma mm-hmm. who are just so into him because he's a yeah. guy who transcended the sport mm-hmm. he was much more than a fighter yeah and uh, it was a very small part of it yeah, yeah. which is amazing because normally amazing, yeah. you know if you are you end up becoming a world champion in yeah. something that defines your whole life, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you leave from the second you wake up to the time you go to yeah, sleep. Yeah, like Tito Ortiz is all about, you feel his identity is all about the fighting. Right. Know, everything is about that. But Evan, fighting was just a byproduct, you know? Yeah, yeah. even, you know, you see those interviews where he's sitting in a gym and he's chatting into the camera and he basically say, I'm not really a fighter. Yeah. And you're like, wait, you are world champion at this, you know. Yeah, it's like middleweight champion. Yeah, yeah, that tells you how vast of a personality we're Absolutely. talking about here. When uh, you know people, that kind of success is normally the ultimate achievement in an athlete life that ninety nine percent of athletes who dedicate their lives to this will never get to. Mm-hmm. For Tanner, that's a side note in his life. Yeah. <laughs> it's like incredible. Yeah, I know. How do you even uh, begin? being champion is incredibly difficult yeah if you're even lucky to even get a shot you're yeah, one in a yeah, million yeah, yeah. and that's in the case of tanner the thing that's hilarious that i guess we mentioned earlier in our intro to tanner but the guy was self-taught yeah he grew up watching vhs tapes teaching mm-hmm. himself how to fight which yeah. again it's insane that that's where you start and considering where he arrives and right. get into a world championship level but then again, Tanner was the kind of guy that people say that uh, they saw him be able to replumb his entire house. And they were like, Jesus, how long have you been working at it and stuff? And he points to a book that he got from the library about plumbing and say, no, I, I just read this book. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's sweet. I can read the book too. I'm not going to replumb my house. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> like, yeah. How freakishly smart do you have to be? Yeah, you know? very it's freakishly like, smart, yeah. It's insane, and that's why I think you have a story there that you're playing with that's just so amazing that yeah. I, mean, I really can't think of a more interesting guy with as many guys in MMA. And complicated. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, yeah. So many layers to Evan, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which is also a challenge for you because, you know, it's, it's, it's not a simple story that you just... Story, uh, no. It's not just about a man walking in the desert. Nah. I got to capture so many complicated interweaving emotions and issues and whatever he's dealing with and his interweaving emotional interchanging personalities it's gonna be very difficult but i'm up for the challenge you know 
Well, that should be quite exciting. Yes. What's the plan? Like when you, if everything goes right and you're able to wrap up the fundraiser soon, then when are you thinking of? Uh, I would like to do, I have a very short window. It could be between November, December, January, and February. I'm thinking probably 214, mm-hmm. January, February, because of the weather. I probably right. go Clap Springs and it's yeah. going to be cool. So January, February 214 would be my my time. I'd really like to give it a shot. Yeah. He went in September, right? Yes. Which is like, Jesus, talk yeah. about intensity, you know? Yeah. I'm going to go alone in a place that's 120 degrees. Yeah. It's like, wow. I went early September and it was like 105, 106. And man, it was brutal. Yeah. yeah. Big time. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's the thing. It's like the cold makes you numb. It's tough, but it's like there's almost like this the cold hugs you and makes you pass out. And yeah. not like it's pleasant, but still is. You could survive in the cold. Right. A heat lot. Yeah. No, heat's yeah, just. It's a different kettle yeah. of fish. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about you. It's like I'm not a big fan of the desert. In like of all the places oh, my, in the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it sounds like when you read, even like the way Tanner would speak of the desert, it sounds poetic, right? It's like, you go out there to find yourself. It's like, yeah. oh, the desert, the poetry. Then you are in the desert and all you want to do is squeeze between two rocks, praying that your brain doesn't start <laughs> yeah. pooping out of your ears because it's so fucking hot. You're yeah. like, oh I never God. was infatuated by it. Me, it was mountains, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah, that. The desert exactly. was always like, you know yeah. what? I don't want to. I want to go back no. to my hotel, yeah. get an air conditioning <laughs> and a beer. You know what I mean? I don't want to be in this desert. Yeah. But I understand it's the it's a tough place to desert. So yeah, that's where you're gonna learn, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd rather be a tough place, you know, alone in the, the, the mountain top with trees and stuff. That a can nice be tough stream, in its own yeah, ways, but yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. It's there's a uh, the that desert. is yeah. I'm not even big into technology, and I remember spending a little too long in the desert, and I kid you know, I was pretty much having visions of flying refrigerators coming to rescue me. I was uh. like. Please give me some. It's, it's it's not for everybody. No, that's it's not, for sure. Not at all. So that's right. There is a labor of love that you had for the desert to we'll get this yeah. done because yes. it's not the place where you want to hang out for no. fun. No. Something you said earlier about your fans that they want to, you know, they want to, you know, they know what they want to do with their lives. They want to follow a passion. I mean, I think like I believe if I can become somewhat successful, I think anyone can. Because you know, I came from Tottenham and. Yeah, there wasn't really any opportunities to get into filmmaking or anything like that. So, you know, this is really like, you know, I'm really living a dream coming here 20 years ago. And I think, you know, to your listeners out there, if they have any dreams or anything, you know, not to approach it with money, just approach it with passion. Mm-hmm. If you approach something with passion, money's just going to come eventually. Yep. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's really the key there, you know. I mean, I got a couple of other movies coming out too, uh, History of MMA, incredible film. Maybe I guys can give you a screening in the next Love couple them. of weeks. Um, just covers the whole history of our sports uh-huh. is it all Mexican fighter which is my Kane Velasquez <laughs> film that's debuting October 15 Kane ain't talking to me right now nice. he's not my friend but you know Kane if you're listening we can be friends again <laughs> um, and then we got the the Mask movie and the Mask film is you know there's a lot of parallels with Mask and Evan Tanner too because like mm-hmm. I filmed Charlie for like maybe 15 years and you know, if you want to check out the trailer, you can go to my website, Bobby Razak Movies, you can go to my YouTube, go to my Vimeo. You know, watch, I got like two or three, you know, mask uh, trailers out there. I mean, Charlie was another guy who kind of reminded me of Evan, was a very complicated, mm-hmm. f- spiritual, and was going through all these great emotional changes. And I, and I filmed him and I recorded him. And, you know, it was incredible to see, you know, his arc 
going from a, a guy that was homeless when I met him to starting a company that was worth a billion dollars. Wow. Jesus. You know what I mean? And then to see it lose again after he died. I mean, it, uh, it was a crazy journey. But I, I knew Charlie was going to die because, mm -hmm. you know, as I was filming him, filming him, filming him, you know, I could see by the way he was talking, the way he was communicating, he was always talking about when I die, when I leave, I want to leave this legacy, blah, blah, blah. So it was something, you know, I got some parallels with, you know, Charlie and Evan. And, and to do a really interesting story, Charlie offered Evan a sponsorship back in the day mm -hmm. to put tap out on his shorts and, and Evan said no I want to keep my shorts all blank we were like what are you crazy <laughs> you know, we're going to put you tap out we're going to pay you yeah. probably as much as your purse money right? and you're going to say no this was like all of us never forgot that we was like yeah. this guy's ever weird or he's crazy yeah. and it was because of Evan's viewpoint I, uh, no one's going to brand me yep you that's know? right I mean can you think of any athlete who does that? No, it's almost brilliant. I mean, you yeah. could probably, like, almost someone should write you a million dollar check just for doing that. Yeah. Here, dude, just have a million and, right. and don't have anything. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're a genius. I'll pay you for not putting my log exactly. on you. Exactly. It just says it all yeah. there, you know. Like, and he it would wear complete empty shorts with no yeah. logo. When you moved over here 20 years ago, did you hit New York first or did you come out here? I did a little bit of East Coast. It didn't work out. I did Chicago, Scranton, Pennsylvania. The cold. It was just too cold. <laughs> yeah. And then I came to LA and then, you know, LA, man, LA's a, man, LA's a bitch, man. It's a tough city. It's a crazy city. Steep climb. Yes, yeah, a steep climb. You take your eye off. I see why a lot of people do fail in our business because you take your eye off that prize a second you out of the race, you're gone. It's just very brutal, you know? And it's very much like the same thing that the actors go through. You know, everybody Oof. who did this and that in some school musical in high school comes out here thinking they're the shit. And no, man, you're one uh, in a thousand when you get you're here. You're a big fish in Idaho. Yes. But you come here, man, you're it's another fucker. Guppy. So, yeah. yeah you so are. that's the thing about LA. LA, you know, I, I can say, I don't know about you, bro, but where are you from originally? I was born in Hawaii and I lived all over the U.S. I'm an army brat. I could say I never liked L.A. Mm -hmm. I never felt it was my home. You know, years. I, I got that big time. Like the first few years in L.A., I remember I wanted to go back. Mm -hmm. Actually, I didn't even, that was the paradox. Is I actually did go back for like six months and I wasn't feeling home there either. Yeah, so you I was can't. Like, yeah, I've experienced that too. I know. This sucks. I'm not yeah. home in Italy. I'm yeah. not home in LA. I'm not home anywhere. This yeah. fucking sucks. And I remember I was about to go back to live to Italy, not because I wanted to, but because really I was having a hard time in LA. Right. And then I remember the only, the, actually the only reason why probably there is this podcast, I'm still here, all of that happened is I had enrolled in Santa Monica College just for the hell of it, just as a, oh, just in case something happened, I decide to stay. And I ran into a really hot woman. And I was like, well, that's that. If I don't, if something doesn't happen in the next month, I'm out of here. So I went for it right away. And then after, even when the whole thing ended, I was like, you know what? I know it now, ended. ended. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, after that, I was like, you know what? Now I'm okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Now I feel fine. But the thing about, I think the reason why, I think we come to, I think LA expands your mind. Yeah. Yes. So expand your, that's the beauty of the place. Yeah. So when you have your mind expanded, you can't go back to Tottenham, no. to Italy, yeah. to Hawaii. This doesn't work out. No. Because now your mind is expanded. Well, yeah. and I don't think anybody ever plans this being where they're going to retire. They're always going to find some place in the mountains where they can fish or something right. like yeah. that. But LA is the great 
hope for this world because yeah. we've got everybody in the world here, every yep. religion in the world yeah. here, and it is far from perfect, but we get along. Yeah. And that's a miracle all by itself. Yeah. When I teach class, I always have a trip. Like I remember with uh, my dad having grown up and lived all his life in Italy, he would have a blast coming over here and looking at the roster of my students because you start reading the names and he's like, where the fuck are these people from? Yeah. It was the entire Planet universe, Earth, yeah. right? There was exactly. every conceivable nation. You could yeah. spot it in the last names of people. Mm-hmm. And there's nowhere like it. You know, no, there's there is nowhere like it. And the weather ain't bad. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically, I've been going back to London every two months. I got like a little gig there with UCMMA. Uh-huh. Sweet. So I get to go to London every two months. I would love to go back to London and work on a long-term project. Uh-huh. So it's been my dream. I've been really pushing. I almost did it uh, earlier this year, but it fell through. But you know, I would like to go back to London on a long term. Right. You can always do your post for your movie there, man. It's always- I know, but then there's always something else I got to shoot. Yeah. You know what it is. It's yeah. another commercial. If I had like a big project where I could sign like, you know, like five, ten commercials, then I would do it. And I almost did it, but it didn't. But also relationships here are hard, man. Like women here suck, dude. <laughs> yeah, I imported mine. You know, I mean, like I, 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 had, I had the fun because I'm a director of all the different women right. and having fun, but... Now it's like, you know, like you get older, you want to settle down and like, you know, it's funny. Every girlfriend I did have was imported. I don't think I ever had a, a Los Angelino girlfriend. No. Always from somewhere yeah. else. Natives are, are hard New to York find. or yeah. wherever. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think I've ever had a woman who actually lived here. But you yeah. know, the thing is, I think the reality of it is if you have certain standards that are a little bit high, you're going for the exception no matter where you are yeah. because the norm of you know the average woman or for the matter the average man to if you reverse it is not all that you know just about anywhere in the world i'm like yeah i can do it out yeah but the exceptions are freaking awesome anywhere exactly right? yeah. it's just that you have to yeah. the, the nature of the exceptions that you're not going to run into it all, yeah. very often it's uh, i like spanish woman i met a spanish woman when i went yeah. to london last and she blew me away very homely super nice i was like and, I, and my first thing was like I'm, I'm around these la women all the time first thing was like what does she want right does she want to be in a movie is she being cast in a commercial i was really suspicious right so she was looking at me like damn what are you so suspicious about that's funny and then it took me like a little bit time to relax but i, I liked her so you know what i mean i would I, I would like to import a woman i do think as well <laughs> I, I i do think la though ru- can ru- can ruin people too right definitely i mean it hasn't ruined us but mm-hmm. we remain pretty stable but man for f- for every three of us i know hundreds of people that la ruined chewed out and split oh the and god forbid you get any, any morsel of fame that blows your head up because those folks never yeah. come out the other side you know yeah. well i mean why not think that's a trippy about LA is that the pace is so insanely fast oh, yeah. that sometimes it does end up that people if they meet you for three seconds they are asking for something because it's not that you're gonna have the time to kind of slowly develop a relationship yeah. with somebody where you get to know them and then eventually it's like either we get business done now or it's never gonna happen right because yeah like, there is a reality that you you have yeah. a connect then or yeah. it doesn't happen and yeah. so that inevitably puts too much pressure you mm-hmm. know it makes everybody come across as too pushy because right. it's like hey relax a little bit yeah. but that there is none because the, the pace is so fast that there yeah. is no people take track. their shot while they can like yeah. this is my shot exactly i better go for it and yeah you know. yeah, yeah yeah which makes it complicated it's very complicated place i've never quite understood it you know i mean 
every time every year i always find something new and different about la that i didn't realize for mm-hmm. la definitely always blows my mind yep with something new like just the other day i just moved to the marina mm-hmm. and i just saw the marina peninsula have you been to the marina oh peninsula? yeah i went to the marina peninsula and i was like what the fuck is this place yeah it's ridiculous like, isn't it's it? ridiculous yeah. like i did not know this was here right and then one day you go somewhere else you find you know it's just crazy you know but i'm the same it's a drug too la it's like once it's, you expand it yeah. very hard to go back yeah i think the only way to really escape maybe i could be wrong maybe you do get to that level of success where you're financially secure then you can maybe feel comfortable going out maybe that's could be something but I don't know what That's it is. That's a little while away, though. Yeah. <laughs> I have at least got money, and then, you know, I, hey, I'm going to buy an island in Fiji, you know? Well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the marina. I have a, a friend who's an international cameraman, so he's, like, right. in Egypt and Libya and all these right. crazy places. Well, when the economy shit the, shit the bed, right. he went to the marina and picked up a really nice sailboat. In a, in a peninsula? Yeah, for, like, oh, $3,800. Oh, my God. So, and his slip fee is four fifty a month. He is living in Los Angeles on four fifty a month. So Damn. when you find out, fo- I probably just gave something away. There'll be a, a, wow. a, a, a yeah. flood. But, uh, you know. Well, another thing, too, is what is confusing about America, just being American mm-hmm. general. They're saying the economy is good. Mm-hmm. But so many of my friends are dying right yeah. now. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm reading and hearing about the prices are going up and we're doing well. But I look at my friends, man, and they're like maybe a few dollars away from being homeless. So there's really a... Right. A, it's a disaster there's a, there's a lot of disaster zones out there i mean i just feel glad i have a roof over my head you know mm-hmm. yeah no it's only to good if honest. you've got a nice fat stock portfolio yeah that's who's benefiting right now yeah. the rest of everybody just got their fucking umbrellas out to keep exactly. the shit off their heads yeah it's brutal out there too so. and some of it is by comparison i guess because yeah compared to how we could be was and all of that right. we are nowhere near and it sucks compare it to you know when i'm back i, I don't know how it, it is in england right now when i went back to italy uh, this summer i was like jesus christ now this is a bad economy you know it made I, us look like yeah super it, hot it like, always at a tough long. economy though so i remember now even worse really because i like, went there really like bad when i was 27 28 i actually crossed the alps uh-huh. i walked from ticino nice to domel dawson nice i remember thinking that it was quite people were telling yeah. me man i'm a um, it's tough in Italy. Compared to a yeah. few years ago, like back then was the golden age compared to now. Really? It's going to even worse. It really sucks. Wow. It's just bad, bad. Like, <laughs> it was weird. It's like the conversation I was having with everybody and not people who are freaking out for no reason. Really, everybody was just trying to figure out how they're going to pay the next bill because they had no idea. Stare like that. That's yeah. horrible. You trip over the Alps. What is that? Is that the Sun Also Rises trip? I mean, is it... Or one Italy, you know. Yeah, you can walk from the Austria to Chino, which is Swiss Germany, right? And you can actually do the Hannibal's Pass. You can go. Wow, all the this is like a ten-day trek. Nice. And there's like these kind of like I don't know if you did it, but there's I these uh, these uh, Swiss army like free huts and strategic places that you can find. You can stay there, and it's an incredible like mind-boggling journey. That sound. Yeah, but my dream is to go to Colosseum. I gotta go to the Colosseum. You've never been? No, no, it's you my got dream. To go. I'm I infatuated by Spartacus and yeah. anything Roman Colosseum, and I think it's quite beautiful what they do too. I know that if someone gets executed around a wall somewhere, <laughs> that they basically keep the lights on all night, isn't it? Isn't yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's isn't that beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is like, funny because symbolica, you know, the Colosseum being the place where people were killed on a regular basis, so massive. massive. Today, anytime there's an execution somewhere in the world, they put the light on. As yeah. a, it's kind of a weird. Uh, it's beautiful to me. Form of 
poetic protest. Yeah. I guess, as, to uh, me, that's the most yeah. profound thing because yeah. I'm warrior in my head. I mean, they, they were, I don't know if you know, but they would have, back in the day, they used to cover it, they used to sink it with water. Yeah. And do fish Naval ships and Naval, yeah. Thousands of people got killed. That's a show right there. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. yeah. Well, our, our friend Daniele here has put forth for his Nobel Peace Prize that <laughs> when, when countries want to fight in the future, Obama can take his own personal collection of gladiators right, and right. go fight the Syrian gladiators. Oh my we God. put it on pay per view. And that's that. It's Gladiators that for way. world peace. No more, uh, no, no more collateral damage. That serious situation is diabolical. Here's uh, another thing too: is like I have a couple of close friends, and like one of my best friends actually, she, you know, they work in like some very high end news companies. And I was having a conversation with them. I was like, you can't believe anything you see in the Associated Press. Yeah. It's all propaganda. It's yeah. kind of like the Nazi mm-hmm. Germany's where they were just feeding propaganda. I don't know what's going on there. Eh? No, nope. you're telling me these people are doing it, but I'm not there. I don't know. I all I know is you want a bomb that creates more money. It's more arms. Who knows what's well, it going creates on? Creates more money if you happen to be, you know, a Halliburton or mm-hmm. McDonald Douglas. Child, you know, if you're making helicopters, we need some more wars. And yeah, that's exactly. Kind of, yeah. And we, that was warned about. You know, Eisenhower warned us about that. Fifty so years about ago, money. Then you know, twenty, thirty years ago, there was there used to be media, meaning there was investigative media. There yeah. were mm-hmm. people who would be paid to go investigate stuff. This now, I mean, one of the downside of an awesome invention like internet is the fact that because everybody writes mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. you have uh, super high quality stuff, but you also have a lot of low quality stuff that still got a lot of views. Mm-hmm. So nobody wants to invest the money required in serious investigative media because yeah, it's, yeah. it's too much money. Too much money. Yeah. And so everybody's going down by Reuters uh, news says this and you just do it in the house the article without yeah. ever finding out what actually is going on you don't on. know what's going on no. yeah, and terrible. god forbid you break anything then you're a Snowden or an Assange or yeah you know. oh my god look at, look at Assange poor <sighs> bastard no. I think he'll come out in history as a hero at some point I think he, he is a hero oh I absolutely, absolutely do. yeah but, but like right now he's stuck in a Peruvian consulate and the moment he gets out he will be executed oh yeah yeah i'm surprised there's not a drone spinning around over oh, his head I'm, right I'm now i'm sure it's right outside right. the door what's the <laughs> you know what i mean like look at that recent guy who uh the cop that you yeah. know i don't know the true story about that cop who went in the killing spree but yeah. i know when they got him in a the house they bazooka him yeah, yeah. they would well, burn that house down he wasn't coming out of there yeah, yeah. or this kid um oh, the, the one who did the crystal no, the McChrystal the, from the Rolling Stone magazine right, right. ended up wrecking his car at 115 miles an hour on Melrose at 4.20 in the morning. And uh, yeah, Mercedes is like, our cars don't blow up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that but was, this one certainly but did. This one certainly did. That yeah. was weird. It's the weird. Time when I'm like, I'm doing this deep investigative thing. Yeah. And but, going undercover, and you might not hear from me a while. Yeah. And the best one was the guy, the young kid supposedly involved in the Boston Marathon bombing. How convenient he gets shot in the throat. Yeah. He can't talk. What do you know about that? Can anything be more convenient? You know what I mean? Like, it's scary. My all time favorite on We can be whacked uh, just be talking about right. this. Oh, I know. There could be like a, a radar, infrared satellite what, thinking, you know what? What's that red dot on your forehead? <laughs> <laughs> These fuckers need to be whacked. <laughs> you know what I mean? As soon as I go out there, to yeah. boom, boom, that's it. Well, that's, no, I, that's that. why we know we're doing, doing the right job. <laughs> I, it's, it's funny, like literally downstairs from here uh-huh. is the largest internet nexus in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Like it all pours through here. Oh, it's shit. the LA switch oh, for everything so we're in a lion's den huh? yeah. yeah we are Seriously. but you know if i plug one cord in i can tap it for tap a minute it in, yeah yeah it works people well. of earth yeah well I, I do think i think the podcast is gonna be 
the next evolution of the true people talking. It is. This is radio do. free, whatever. You yeah. know, radio Joe Rogan, man. It's great. Yeah. 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 He, he led the way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, seriously. When you think about the number of people who went through Rogan's show and then each one did their own thing and that... It's amazing. I mean, Rogan in that sense is a freaking magician how mm-hmm. he is able to to do that because yeah. uh, he is what the Ramones were to punk music. Yeah. <laughs> nice. if, if that asshole yeah, can do it, anybody can. He's just a money making machine yeah. right now. Yeah. No, and good Beautiful. for him. God bless you know, him, yeah. Good he guy. keeps it he keeps it real. Yeah. yeah he he ain't me. He's 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 flirting with uh, the networks, but he still keeps it gangster. Yep. That's my man. You know? yep. Yep. He can play yep. both sides of the of the fence, and that's ultimately the best way of doing it. And you know? keeps it wildly interesting, you know? Yeah. I remember when he got Graham Hancock in there for the first mm-hmm. time, I was like, now we're really kind of... No way. He put st- Graham Hancock in there. Oh, he's been like yeah. three times oh, now. Wow. That's one of my favorite. Think of Prince of the Gods, huh? Talk, oh, yeah. yeah. That book changed my life, man. Same here, just... bro. You know the book that changed my life, actually? The film, and I actually financed uh, Rites of Passage three mm-hmm. months later, was David Icke's uh, The Truth Will Set You Free. Because I read in David Icke that there was this negativity around us, and that if we concentrated and manifested and believed in something, that we can get anything. And like I, I listened to what David Icke said, The Truth Will Set You Free, and I raised uh, $200,000 to do... Um, Rice of Passage like six weeks later. Wow. David nice. Icke was David Icke. The truth was that you freeze my Bible. Damn. Nice. So, nice, no. nice. 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 Well, this is awesome, man. This is, uh, <laughs> we went off topic there a little bit. But no, no, but that was part of <laughs> There never know, is. We were, right, right. Part. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. We were on topic and we was good and then it was free flow. <laughs> we go. So we just <laughs> Let's go free flow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. Yeah. Well, man super best of luck with this project which sounds as exciting as it gets and so i hope that uh, you know if you guys all of you guys were into mma or you just care about you know this story is just such a cool amazing story check out bobby's work and check out this film in particular and the fundraising process and um let's see what happens because this is going to be exciting yeah the short is outstanding and i can only imagine how great the feature film will be yeah i mean every a lot of it was on the front page of ma.tv center box and yeah i got so many emails from around the world and people want to support now i've just got to translate that into into cash but uh, i i I do believe i do believe evan wanted me to do this movie I, i i had all this time i felt he was communicating with me and he was telling me to do this because he wanted his name cleared i just felt that i felt his spirit with me and i believe he's gonna help me find this money i have no doubt that i'm gonna find this angel investor that's gonna drop out of the sky very soon because he's gonna help me find it too i think evan's with me in this one of the things that's amazing about nice. that when you see the um, there are a couple of clips that you can see on youtube of just evan sitting down in a gym and just free-flowing about his philosophy his life and everything and one of the things that he insists over and over again that's very related to what you're saying is the theme that he had this feeling all his life that fighting doing what he did was purely a means to an end mm-hmm. and space and the end was being able to communicate a certain message a certain philosophy of life Mm -hmm. to as many people as possible that all the fighting and the fame that came with it was purely to get him to be able to have that kind of voice that forum now doing a movie about the man that's giving him voice right there Mm -hmm. so that fits perfectly with all of this now one thing that um the one thing that eventually like I want to leave you guys with uh, one of the coolest quotes ever. Like this is just, 
anytime you if you are in bummed out if you are in a bad mood if you are having regrets if you are having there's heaven thunder there for you because this is as good of a quote as it ever gets so well first i want to thank bobby so much for yeah, being bobby. with us thanks tonight. so much for thank you guys this awesome. pleasure this is great great experience awesome and send you guys on your way with this quote check that out well check that out with a heavy italian accent so sorry Evan thunder but that's how it goes <laughs> the this was written about a year before he died, so fairly recent. He was talking about other stuff, but you can clearly apply to his own death as well. And he say, um, now you may ask if I regret it, if I would do it differently, if I could, if I could take it back. Not a chance. I went for it. I put it all on the line, and I always will. I knew what the consequences would be if I failed, and I was willing to accept them. So any of you reading who might be feeling a twinge of sympathy, don't. I made my decisions and I accept the consequences. I'm no victim. And to those who are thinking about preaching at me, don't bother. I won't hear you. I haven't accomplished anything in this life worth remembering by playing it safe. That's boring to me anyway. The man is a god, what can one say? And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. Get back to work.